Welcome to How Do You Write? I'm your host, Rachel Heron. On this podcast, I talk to authors about how they write, what their process is, and how their lives fit together. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. Well, hello, writers. Welcome to episode number 265 of How Do You Write? I'm Rachel Heron. Today, I'm talking with the marvelous Cecilia Gray, who is a friend of mine. She's a good friend of mine. Uh, and she is so awesome that I honestly based one of my main characters on her once. The main character of Cora's Heart is based on her. I wonder if she remembers that. Probably not. Um, she is unique and individual and a powerhouse and a talent that is unstoppable. And it was so fun to talk to her about what it is like writing about a pandemic. And some of you have come to me and asked this question, should I be writing about this? Should I not be? Uh, so it was really fun to talk to her about that. I know you're going to enjoy what has been going on around here. Um, just work, honestly, just work. If you watch on the YouTube uh, you can still see that I am in the schoolhouse, uh, still here until November 1st. I am recording this on October 22nd. So we've got about 10 more, I don't can't do the math, nine more days. And then we move into our home. And that's going to be really, really exciting. So I can't wait for that. But while I am waiting for that, I am just editing books one through three of the five book romance series that I got back, the rights um four books four and five are already up books one through three I am going over again and I tell you it continues to be incredibly frustrating and also pretty fun because I had forgotten how fun these books are there are some really fun bits there are some bits that are just delightful to go through and also it is very satisfying to bring sentences up to a level that I am happy with uh, they didn't all suck but some of them could be stronger. And so those have been fun to fix. I actually did find um, a proofer who's going to go over them. Thank God I was going to, as I said last week, I was going to upload them in a hurry and then fix them with the copy edited version later. Still going to do that. But I have a reader with an excellent eye who's going to give them a once over proof before the copy edit, which is absolutely backwards and you shouldn't do that. But that's how I'm doing this this time. Uh, so that's making me feel a little bit better. What else has been happening? I have been working a lot on that. A lot, a lot. It's taking a lot of hours, but then it will be done and it will be off my plate. And I think I mentioned this last week. That's great because I could procrastinate the whole Parkinson's law where things expand to fill the time allotted. If I gave myself a month, I could take a month on each book. If I gave myself four days, which is basically what I've been giving myself, it can be done in four days. It's just a lot of work. So I'm doing that. Um, my 90 days to done and 90 day revision classes are brilliant. They are filled with the most wonderful people doing an intensely amazing job at writing their books or finishing and revising their books. And I am so proud of them. And I'm just so pleased. I don't talk about them very much because I feel like it's kind of this secret, wonderful, loveliness that is mine that I get to do every week, work with these people. It is my honor to do so. So that has been really, really fun. Also, I've just been trying to read a lot and I'm getting that done. Uh, I dodged a migraine. Well done me. I took a long, I've taken a couple of really long walks in the Wellington Hills in the wind and have enjoyed myself so much. I find that I 
really, really love the feeling of the wind pushing against my body so hard that it feels like I'm going to fall down and me pushing back. It is so incredibly satisfying. That's kind of all that's going on around here, which isn't too much in comparison to everything that has gone on. So uh, let's jump into the interview. First of all, though, I do want to thank new patrons. I can't remember if I thanked these two last week, but Dorothy John's daughter, welcome, thank you, and Melinda Finley, hello, welcome, thank you, and Mara McIntyre, and Zoe, thank you so much. Zoe joins at the mini coach level, so don't forget you can ask me questions at the mini coach level. I think I have an episode about with with almost enough questions to make an episode for. So if you are a patron at the five dollar and up level per month. Uh, don't forget you get the essays plus you get to ask me any questions about writing that you want. Please utilize me for that because I really enjoy doing it. Um, today, instead of doing the interim little break where I usually announce something, my email list or my book or whatever, I am going to tell you about stolen things. I'm going to give you a little read from the blurb uh, on the book itself because my publisher, Dutton Penguin, got a book bub on it. So it's only $2.99 right now and that is Super, super cool because it's normally a $13.99 ebook, which just between you and me, I think is a lot. I don't like to pay $13 for an ebook. I really don't, but I don't set the prices. We don't get to, authors don't get to set the prices when we are talking about um, traditionally published books. So I say, if you're interested, go grab it now for $2.99. Let me give you the blurb. It is called Stolen Things. With one call, her daughter's life is on the line. It's always so funny to read these. Um, writers write everything, but they don't usually write these. I did not write this. Uh, Lori Amati has worked as a 911 police dispatcher in her quiet Northern California town for almost two decades, but nothing in her 20 years of experience could prepare her for the worst call of her career. Her teenage daughter, Jojo, is on the other end of the line. She is drugged, disoriented, and in pain. And even though the whole police department springs into action, there's nothing Lori can do to help. Jojo, who has been sexually assaulted, doesn't remember how she ended up at the home of Kevin Leeds, a pro football player famous for his work with the Citizens Against Police Brutality Movement, though she insists he would never hurt her. And she has no idea where her best friend Harper, who was with her the earlier in the evening, could be. As Jojo and Lori begin digging into Harper's private messages on social media to look for clues to her whereabouts, they uncover a conspiracy far bigger than they ever could have imagined. With Kevin's freedom on the line and the chances of finding Harper unharmed slipping away, plus a dead body that uh, is actually not in this blurb and I think should be, uh, Jojo and Lori begin to realize that they can't trust anyone to find Harper except themselves, not even the police department they've long considered family and time is running out. Uh, let's see, Iris Johansson, who is a New York Times bestselling author that I don't know, and therefore this blurb is, this uh, quote is very precious to me. She says, exciting storytelling and great characters make stolen things a powerhouse read. The writing is superb, and I can't wait for her next book. And uh, Crime Reads says, uh, Heron has worked as a 911 dispatcher for many years, and her debut is infused with both the emotional truths and daily details of her life's work, a textbook study of tension and secrets in small-town America. And Library Journal says, Heron treats us to a thriller that slowly peels back the layers of dirty secrets kept by all the people involved. An intense read, perfect for fans of Karen Slaughter or Lisa Scottellini. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, let's go back to that word that 
crime reads used. I've talked about it on the show before, but because they renamed me, because my publisher renamed me R.H. Heron, which is also my name, Rachel Holly Heron, uh, they are allowed to call me a debut as a thriller writer. I don't love it because I'm not a debut by any stretch of the imagination, but that is a thing that sells books and bookstores really like it. So that is what they do. Not a debut, but it was a debut for R.H. Heron. This came out last year, year and a half ago. It's called Stolen Things and it's $2.99. It'll probably be that way for at least another week, or it could remain that price for a little bit longer. So even if you hear this later, go check it out. That is a great price to buy a book for, I'm telling you. And if you did grab it for that super low price, boy, would I appreciate a review. Um, Don't forget that reviews are the best gift you can give to an author. I don't care what rating you give me. It is the fact that there is a review that pushes the algorithm. Um, So that is deeply appreciated and do consider it when you're reading any book. Um, Leave some kind of review if you enjoyed it. I only leave four and five star reviews myself. That's very easy for me to do. It's never a lie because if it was a one, two or a three star book, I would never finish reading it. I don't have time for that. I only read books that are mostly five stars. Because as soon as it turns into like a 3.5 slash about four star book, I just stop reading it. I abandon it and I don't read it. Uh, That's how I work, not how you work. uh, But do consider leaving reviews for all the books you read. It is so helpful. Okay, I feel like I've said a lot. And let us move into the interview with Cecilia. (laughs) She's so awesome. I know you're going to love her. Okay, here we go. And happy writing, my friends. Please don't forget that you're a writer and you should be doing a little bit of it too. Okay, here we go. All right. Well, I could not be more excited today to welcome to the show, my friend, Cecilia Gray. Hello, Cecilia. Hello, Rachel. I'm so happy to have you. We have known each other for (laughs) forever, but let me give a little bio for you for the people who don't know who you are yet. Cecilia Gray writes about first love, second chances, and forever friendships. She has written over 20 young adult and romance titles. That was then a pandemic midlife reboot tale is her first contemporary mainstream novel. Cecilia used the pandemic for a midlife reboot of her own and is currently slow traveling the world with her two cats. You can read more about her work at ceciliagray.com. So congratulations on this new book, which I haven't read yet, but I am going to, because I love your writing. Thank you. So I sent you the list of questions and if we get to them, that's great. If we don't, we don't, but talk to me about writing about the pandemic, because that is something that people are struggling with (laughs) considering doing. So I actually wrote about the pandemic during the pandemic in real time. Um, What had sort of happened? I mean, you know me, you know that I am naturally a plotter, like I have spreadsheets on spreadsheets on spreadsheets. I have spreadsheets for character traits. I have spreadsheets for the timeline. They all link up, they they all change. And, you know, there's lots of formulas involved. Um, And I actually had a book all plotted out. And then when the pandemic happened, I think, I don't know if you felt this, like a lot of people, I just felt like I couldn't write the story that I had planned on writing. Like, I just Mm -hmm. felt like, you know, I couldn't mm-hmm. do anything that I had planned on doing. Um, yeah. And so I thought, okay, well, I have to write something because, you know, if you're, are you a writer? If you're not writing, sure, but you need to be writing something. And so um, I think like something happened. Uh, I can't even remember the first scene I wrote, but something happened that hit the news. And I thought, well, I'm just going to write my characters reacting to this scene. That's what I'm going to do. So you were already ready writing these characters. 
I had the characters in mind. I had who they were and who they were supposed to become uh, in terms of the three best friends that that live in San Francisco together um, and originally worked together. And I was going to have a book for each one. So I, I thought, well, I'll just write a scene of them reacting to the pandemic together. <laughs> and then that sort of, and then the next time something happened in the news, I was like, well, I will write another scene of them reacting to the pandemic together. And after enough time, I was like, I have enough scenes that this is a book. <laughs> this is a book now. And I was like, this must be what pantsing is. That's what like, I was going to so say about, about it. it. You're literally pantsing. You were pantsing in those moments. How did it feel to do? Oh, it gave me a lot of anxiety. I think <laughs> I don't think you realize how terrible pantsing is to a plotter because you don't know that it's, you can't get, first of all, the pandemic itself was anxiety provoking. And then to put the pressure of your book on top of that was just an extra layer that I wasn't ready for, but it's what I had to do. So, uh, you know, when, when George Floyd happened, that made it into the book. When the Capitol riots happened, that had to make it into the book. Um, I didn't know who was going to win <laughs> when yeah. the, the rest of that didn't make it in the book. And, and, and everything that sort of happens in the book had to just happen because it happened. And, and in a way it, it was good. Um, and that it forced me to, to do a type of character development I've never done before, like an organic character development, which I think almost ends up feeling a little more real than when you force character development through these like big plot points that happen. Mm -hmm. Like then you realize like actually a lot of character change does happen through small everyday life. And it was trying to find a way to like capture that it was, but please never again. As a person who have no, who's known you for a long time and has, has seen these spreadsheets, like my eyes are just like heart eyes in your direction. I'm so excited that you had this experience and no, you never have to do it again, ever, ever, ever. So this book then, did you keep the idea of writing it about one woman and then the other two still have their due or did they all come into this book more than you thought they would? They they all are in the book about as much as they were going to be, okay. uh, but probably even a little less because obviously the pandemic doesn't let them interact in traditional ways that you would have three best friends interacting. So it, it was sort of difficult to show friendship and how it is when you can't do all the fun friendship things that you can do in regular time. Oh my God. I'm so excited to read this book. I'm so excited to see what you did with this time that we're getting out of. Um, that's amazing. What is your process, writing process like? Because you do a lot of different things and we don't need to talk about any of those things, but you do a lot of things. Where does writing fit in your life and how do you get it done? Um, it sort of fits in at the end of the day these days, to be honest. Oh. I, uh, <laughs> I'm uh, remote working now, like many people. I was able to secure that arrangement and I'm also traveling. So I'm not in the same time zone where I currently work, but I'm committed to my time zone. Um, and so I sort of have a different day where I wake up in the morning and I get a few hours to myself and I spend that time. I really do. I'm trying to spend that time on myself and like eating breakfast and exercising, um, and trying to take care of myself in a way I really didn't during the pandemic. <laughs> None of us did. None of us did, girl. Oh, yeah. man. So there's that. And then and then I'm committed to a work day. And then sort of at the end of the day, when it gets dark, that's really um, when I write. And it's it works for me because, you know, obviously I've been thinking about my characters and what they should be doing all day. I've been wanting to write about them. So mm. at the end of the day, I actually do want to write about them. Whereas I, sometimes I found that if I start writing in the beginning of the day when I feel like I have to write, um, I'm just not, I just feel a little more like eh, about being at the keyboard. You have, 
I would say, you probably would not argue with me. I have known you to be a workaholic. The workaholic in me recognizes the workaholic in you that can do a lot of things. How, how much time do you spend at night writing? I actually only spend an hour a day writing these days. Who is Cecilia and what have you done with my friend? <laughs> um, well, uh, that's amazing. <laughs> Cecilia got, as you know, Cecilia got some cats and the, when the cats want to be pet, then that's how it is. That's how it is. I, but I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I don't know if this is true. I think writing at the end of the day, after you've had all day to think through things, yeah the scenes just flow faster because you've sort of been working them out in your head the whole time. Um, so they, and you've got, you've got tidbits of dialogue from the whole day that you can kind of put in, like you don't have to force anything. So it's almost like switching my writing from day to night um, made it more efficient for me, the actual time in front of the lap, in front of the keyboard. I love that with a cat on your lap. Do we want to tell our cat story? Her. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I'm sure your readers know that you, ha- I wouldn't call it a, uh, what's the right word for it? It's not it's a, a problem. problem. It's, okay. <laughs> it's a problem that, that animals launch themselves at my car as if it was made of bacon. Like that is mostly dogs, but often cats. And I have probably rescued, I don't know, 15 over the last, I guess it's not that many, you know, over the last years, but one day I was driving home and right in front of my car ran the tiniest, tiniest little black kitten. Like, I don't know how old Crowley could have been like six weeks tops, five or six weeks old, just the tiniest. And, and Cecilia was very, very allergic to cats, very allergic to cats. Like can't come in my house kind of thing. And I told you, and this is honest to God's truth that I am also allergic to cats, but I got my beloved digit when he was about that small. Um, and because I grew up with his dander as he grew, like he was more, he's, they're less allergenic when they're small. And I, got used to it as he got bigger that like I could rub that cat all over my face and it wouldn't matter. And so you came over to my house and tried petting little Mr. Crowley. I think I rubbed my face in him. I think you did. And And then I think you like drove around maybe for a little while or spent an hour in front of my house and nothing happened. Your eyes didn't swell closed. And I have to say that I'm so proud. That's like one of my greatest accomplishments as a human being. It it was... (laughs) It was a watershed moment for me. Like I changed my life after having, after having a cat, like I changed my priorities. I changed how I spend my time. I changed the time I give myself just to sit around and do nothing. Although I think petting your cat is not doing nothing. It's a very valuable activity. If you are doing it, please continue to do so. Um, So, so yeah, I think I, it, it definitely decreased my workaholicness. And I, and a friend of mine actually said like, oh, well now we know if you ever become an evil villain, because you know, I have the potential to be an evil villain and evil mastermind. They said, if you ever become an evil villain, we know that all we have to do is like throw a bunch of cats in front of you and it would just derail your plans entirely. Just a box of tiny kittens. You're done. You're doomed. Yeah. (laughs) End of the movie. (laughs) I love that the cats have, have influenced you up to the cellular level of your writing, you know, that, that you write an hour a day. Okay. So what is your biggest challenge when it comes to writing? My biggest challenge actually. So something, I don't know if you discovered this during the pandemic, but there were some very specific viral articles that went around during the pandemic. And one of them was about the idea of internal narrative in mind's eye. 
and that there was this discovery that some people have an internal narrative. This also makes it into my book because this was such a big thing. Yeah. Some people have internal narratives and some people do not. And I do not have an internal narrative and I do not have a mind's eye. So it, there are certain things that never made sense to me in life. Like people used to always say, oh, well, if you tell someone not to think of a pink elephant, the first thing they're going to see is a pink elephant. And I didn't really understand what that meant because if you said I don't, to me, I don't have that mind's eye either. I don't see a pink elephant. I see nothing. And then even I can the see if I try really hard, I can see like an apple. I can see, but nothing else. Mm. Like if yeah. I, and I probably could see a pink elephant for a second, but, but those people who say like, well, I just, I just watched the movie of my book in front of me. And then I write it down. I'm like, what, what, what movie? Oh what my movie? goodness. What? Yeah. I said, I, yeah. I, so I, I think I don't have that. And I also don't have the narrative. And in fact, I used I to that. think that that was a really cheap device. Like, you know, stories like Bridget Jones diary. I used to think that was such a cheap device. I didn't think that's how people actually experience their lives. I have a voice in my head that never stops. That's amazing. That's amazing to Ever. me. So, so I think I used to have this critique all the time. People would read my book and they would say, I don't know what your heroine is thinking mm. um, because she's, not telling me how she's thinking. And I used to think that was so weird because like, why would she tell you how she's thinking? You know what she's thinking because she's living her life and doing things that reflect how she feels. But I think people who have narratives are used to yes. hearing that narrative. And so um, now that I know that, <laughs> that I think my biggest challenge is, is obviously, I think anybody's biggest challenge, uh, maybe not, is writing characters that experience the world in a way that's different, differently from you know, how I experience the world. Oh, I wonder. I wonder if you could use it for a character, though, for a character who doesn't have the internal dialogue and who doesn't have the inner eye. That would be I, that would be interesting to explore. I think you would have to be quite like like you would have to, you know, inform the reader. You would. Because <laughs> it would be part of it. Like they, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's oh my gosh, I I love that. What is your biggest joy when it comes to writing? Oh. Um, Rachel, I'm just one of those people that does not find it to be a joyful process. Like if I could stop myself, if I could like go back in time and find my younger self and just shake her and say like, stick to math. You're really good at math. Like that's what I would do. I, I don't have joy. For, I can't stop, but it's not like a joyful experience. I guess the joy is when it's done. <laughs> when you stop typing for the day. Yeah. <laughs> that's a joy. That is, yes. that is a joy. That really is. Um, I used to love writing, but I hated every minute of it, but I loved being in the bathtub and that after I ran and that was what I did. Yes. It's the same thing. Can you share a craft tip with us of any sort? Oh, a craft tip. Okay. So uh, this doesn't apply to all levels of writers, obviously, but I think if you're a beginning writer or in the first stages of writing, um, you know, you're going to write all your scenes. And then I think something that every writer should consider doing is going back to every scene and just deleting your first and last paragraph and seeing <laughs> if it works anyway. Because most people over, again, because most people like have that internal monologue, they start things before they need to. They give too much detail before a scene starts and they sort of like lead out a scene a little too much and, and give too much detail more than they need. And I think sometimes um, when you drag the reader along and the reader doesn't come to their own conclusion about things, it's not as interactive an experience. Um, so that's my tip for everyone. Just just go ahead and just delete the first and last paragraph and see if it still works. And if it doesn't work, is there a way that you could do that in maybe a word or two to fix what they're missing? I love, yes. I love this idea. Yeah. I always feel like the, the reader experience with the author has to be that we trust them to do a lot of the work because readers want to work. It's like, it's like showing up to a crossword puzzle and then having the author lean over and fill in all the squares. Nobody wants that. No, 
they yeah. want to think about it. That's a beautiful way of cheaters um, want that. Cheater. <laughs> exactly. And that's no fun. Yeah. I love that. I'm going to try that with the, my next scene, just getting rid of them entirely, those paragraphs. Well, you're the revision queen. You're the, I love I've, yes, I just, your revision process is, if, if people don't know, Rachel's revision process is legendary. <laughs> <laughs> it is because it works and it's fun. And my, and, you know, besides getting you a cat, like my other greatest moments in life are when students come to me and say, oh, I love revision now, you asshole, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, thank you. Thank you. My work is done here. What thing in your life right now affects your writing in a surprising way that is not cats? Oh, how dare you? Uh, <laughs> uh, so actually, part of being um, a little more remote and nomadic means I've gotten rid of all my furniture. Ah. And so I don't Me too, own- girl. Yes. <laughs> I, I don't own any chairs. I own a little low table that I can eat off of and write off of. And there's something about um, sitting at this table and having to hold my posture and having to hold myself a certain a certain way. It just creates a different energy. And it actually reminds me about another friend of mine who's an author, um, Veronica Wolf, you know her. Oh, she, yeah, she got a, a treadmill desk and she said that she noticed the time and tempo of her action. She writes like this, you know, she was writing these kick butt vampire um, novels. And she said that she noticed that the time and tempo of her action scenes really kicked it up when she wrote while she was walking. Um, and I think there's something about, about writing in a way where you, where you hold yourself a little more mm. uh, rigid <laughs> or that you're mm-hmm. like exercising your, yourself a little more. It just creates like a different tempo to your work. And it, I think people should, another writing tip, like, I think people should try that. It, it Try writing standing, try writing sitting, try writing laying down, try writing, you know, handwriting. You just never know how something's going to be able to impact your voice. So I want to go a little bit more detailed on the ergo of this. Um, so I'm presuming you're like sitting cross-legged on the floor kind of thing. Yes. And then is your computer on the table or do you have it raised so that you're not bending your neck down so that you look at it? How does it work? So my computer is on the table mm-hmm. and I have, it's perfect so that my you know, elbow is ergonomically bent. Yeah. But then I actually don't look at my screen then because that does mean that I'm bending my neck down too much. Right. Um, And so in a way, you know, I'll glance down from time to time, but in a way then the writing becomes a little less self-conscious because you're not reading what you've written as you write it. You're just writing it. What about for revision though? When you're in revision, you have to be looking at it. Oh, then, do you, so, then do you raise it? How do you, I, I'm de- I like details. So in revision, it's actually a little different for me. I, I re- have a different revision process where um, I'll take the whole document and transfer it over to like a Kindle version that I then ah. read on my, on my phone and I'll make myself handwritten notes as I read it. Um, so, <laughs> be, and I'll actually that. read it out loud sometimes because I'm a bit of a fast writer. And as a result, sometimes I can get lazy about dropping words and that there are things that I wouldn't notice. Like my eye will just fill it in naturally. If I don't read it out loud, I won't realize yeah. I'm missing it or missing a detail or I won't realize till later, like, oh, these two have just been sitting in the vacuum of space. I should put them in a room. You know? <laughs> the bane <laughs> of my existence. Yes. Yeah. It's what happens when you don't have the mind's eye, right? <laughs> it you know, you is really true. That is why I've always struggled so much with setting. I'm like, I realize that I can't see it. I don't, I have to look at pictures online and then describe what I see in the picture in order to get setting it. 
I like that. I'm going to take that one from you. I'm just going to start putting pictures up, but yeah, I write it out. And then when I go to, when I go to edit, um, I, I sort of just do it in like short spurts. Like I'll usually only edit one scene at a time. So then I am looking at the moment. Okay. But it's not long enough to break your neck. No. All right. Oh, this is fascinating. Okay. Um, what is the best book that you've read recently? Oh, you know, so, so to be honest, I've been, I'm sure like many people, I've been reading a lot of, um, books that were suggested from like anti-racist mm-hmm. uh, okay so um, me and white supremacy and how to be an anti-racist so I had kind of gotten through um, a lot of those so the, the, the book that I've read most recently that's perhaps not um, non-fiction in that way is killers of the flower moon I'm actually still in the middle of it no spoilers anybody who's already finished it <laughs> I, and <laughs> it's based on the the ver- the real story of um, the like multiple murders of, of the Osage nation um, during the time when they were uh, very wealthy due to oil money because mm. they had oil rights. Um, and the creation of what eventually becomes the Federal Bureau of Investigation when they come down to investigate these murders. And they're actually making a movie. I think Martin Scorsese is filming a movie right now. And I, I feel very desperate to like finish the book before the movie comes out. So I'm not influenced by anything. I think Leonardo DiCaprio is starring in it. Um, but it's really interesting because it, it almost, I don't know if anyone else went through a pandemic phase of watching real crime drama in a very oh, yeah. guilty way. Yeah, yeah. just I, all of it. I didn't care if it was good, bad. I watched it. Yeah. Yes, same. So this is sort of the book extension of that because they talk about what um, investigative techniques used to be, like what used to pass for a jury, what used to pass for like investigating bodies, like way back in the 1800s. And it's, it's and what is it called fascinating. Again? Killers of the Flower Moon. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Putting that on my list of things to read while in quarantine in New Zealand. Um, <laughs> thank you very much. All right. So will you tell us a little bit about That Was Then? Sure. Uh, that Was Then is part of a series of three books, but this is the only one that's out about three friends who, as a result of the pandemic, undergo huge shifts um, in their life, sort of like these, I wouldn't say midlife crisis, but midlife reboot, that they had a certain type of life and now they have another type of life. And That Was Then specifically concerns a, a marriage. And I think a lot of marriages were tested by the pandemic mm-hmm. and some came out stronger and some were revealed to be not ideal um, or at least not ideal for a pandemic, you know, if not other circumstances. And so it's about a woman who, who had a life that she thought was the life she wanted. Uh, and then the pandemic um, and sort of the, the, the test to her marriage shows her that, that the compromises she had made in her life had sort of taken over <laughs> and put her in this position um, where she sort of wasn't ready to, to like confront the pandemic or anything else about her life. So it's just about sort of like deciding what kind of life you have versus what you want it to be. And, and just before the show, you and I were talking about this quote, which I yes, love. I was hoping you would go there. This quote by Anne Quinlan, who's an amazing author, and it's the life you have led doesn't need to be the only life you have. And I think this is so inspiring for anyone at any time that if you're not happy, the life that you've led so far doesn't need to be the life that you have. It doesn't need to be your life tomorrow or the life thereafter. And I think it's really easy for people to get stuck in ruts. And I think the pandemic really helped people realize like, oh, I I can pivot my life and I can pivot it very quickly. And if you can pivot it quickly for a pandemic, then you can pivot it for anything, quite frankly. Like, and I mean that as a country, like I saw, I saw ways that companies made changes that they said would take years that they managed to do those changes in months. And that if you really put the energy on it, you can change 
anything as small as like your life to a government program to how a country deals with something. Um, and, and that's, that's sort of, so it's like a very hoity toity. What is the book about? <laughs> I absolutely love it because like you have had these kind of seismic shifts in your life and I'm moving into a seismic shift. And there's a quote I keep on my desk right here from Aeneas Nin, who said life shrinks or expands in proportion to one's own, to one's courage. Um, and, oh. but I'm going to add the Anna Quinlan quote, the life you have led doesn't need to be the only life you have. Mm-hmm. Isn't that incredible that, and that, Oh, I can't wait to read your book. That is delicious. Where can we find you online? Uh, I am on Facebook. You can friend me there. I'm being very social media slow for right now. <laughs> I think, you know, I think the pandemic tested everyone's social media tolerance. So <laughs> yeah. it broke mine completely. Yes. Yeah. yeah. This, Except for TikTok. This, I'm all about TikTok. Oh, okay. Well, we'll, we'll see. I'm right now on Facebook. I, I also obviously um, made the decision to focus more on my cats and on writing than on social media, but who knows? I might open up, but for now on my website and on Facebook, please. And your website <laughs> is ceciliagray.com. Gray, yes. A-Y. Yes. So Cecilia, it has been such a treat talking to you and seeing your beautiful face. Thank and you. Um, thank you. Say hello to Crowley and kiss boo and all of that. Okay. Yeah. Happy writing. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of How Do You Write? You can reach me on Twitter, Rachel Heron, or at my website, rachelheron.com. You can also support me on Patreon and get essays on living your creative life for as little as a buck an essay at patreon.com slash Rachel, spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L. And do sign up for my free weekly newsletter of encouragement to writers at rachelheron.com slash write. Now go to your desk and create your own process. Get to writing, my friends. Thank you.